Welcome to the Goal For It podcast, a podcast designed to help you establish the mindset to discover your purpose and set goals to live out what inspires you. I'm your host, Allison, a current college business student with experience moving around the country and traveling around the world in pursuit of my goals. I'm so glad you decided to listen today, and I'd love to hear what you think of today's episode. You can connect with me on my Instagram at liveoutinspiration or my website, liveoutinspiration.com. And with that, let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited that you decided to listen today. I have a very informational episode for you. So you might want to grab your notebook um, and take notes because I'm basically going to be condensing some of the biggest lessons and takeaways from my four years in business school. And so this is going to range from accounting, analytics, marketing, finance, project management, entrepreneurship, and sales. So kind of a little bit of everything. I think I had kind of a unique approach to college and business school because I came in not really knowing for sure what my major was going to be. I think a lot of people come in and they're like, okay, I know for sure I want to do finance. And so they kind of really hone in on focus on that. But I came in not really knowing what I wanted to do. So I definitely took classes and courses in all the different areas to really kind of get an understanding of what I was interested in and what I wanted to pursue. So I think I have a very holistic approach and I took away tidbits from each of those and I figured... You know, now that I'm approaching graduation in about a month, which is just absolutely crazy to me, I thought what better time than now to kind of reflect on everything that I've learned and kind of pass that on and share some of my biggest takeaways. So I think this is a really great episode for many different people. So maybe you are about to go into college and you're considering business and maybe you don't really know what you want to do yet. I think... It gives you an idea in a general sense of kind of what you might be learning within some of these different majors. And then also, I think if you are considering starting your own business and want to learn more about how business works and things you kind of have to know and and keep track of, this can really serve as a good starting point to understand kind of the main things. And then if you want to take certain topics and explore them more and do your own research and find different resources, then I think this is a great starting point to do that. So with that, I'm going to just dive in and I hope you take away something from this podcast and I hope it's helpful. And yeah, let's dive into it. So the first topic or major I'm going to talk about is accounting. And so I came in to college, like I mentioned, not knowing what I really wanted to do. And so I had to take two intro accounting courses as part of just the overall required business curriculum. And these two accounting courses that I took, I had the same professor. And this professor was renowned within the business school for being one of the hardest professors And so it really started off my college career and forced me to learn how to study and work hard. And it was really just a good foundation 
And the thing I loved about this professor's approach was that she taught accounting in, in such a way that she directed it towards not just people who were trying to be accounting majors. She really helped everyone understand that accounting is the language of business. And whether you're working in marketing, whether you're working in finance, whether you're an entrepreneur, you have to understand how a business works and you have to keep track of everything that's happening in order to understand if your business is healthy, if it's going to keep running. And it's also required to keep financials. And if you're a public company, you have to report those. So whether you enjoy doing it or not, it's it's a part of business. And so it's very helpful and useful to understand. With that kind of approach and with my intention and my goal of someday starting a business, I thought, okay, I'm going to pursue an accounting major. Not because I want to be an accountant. I just kind of knew that off the bat. I was like, all right, I at least want to take this on as a major and try to learn and really understand how business works. And so I really do feel like accounting taught me that. And so I'm going to go through kind of the three financial statements just at a very high level because I think reading and understanding financial statements, you can learn so much about business and you can apply it to other areas like investing and there's just a lot you can take from it. So I'm going to just break them down. So you have the income statement which is basically revenues and expenses. So this is essentially the normal operations of the business. So what is the business selling? Is it products or services or whatever it might be? So that's going to be your revenues. And then expenses is just everything that the business needs to pay for in order to operate. So this just gives a good idea of is the company operating well? Is it making a profit? Is it bringing in more revenue than expenses? And so this kind of just gets a gauge at the overall operations of a company. The balance sheet is a little bit more of a step back, a little bit more of a holistic view, because this is everything from the assets to the liabilities within the company. So this is just things that are outside of maybe the normal course of business. So different assets could be things that the company is invested in. Liabilities are things like loans that they might owe other people. And so it kind of gives you a sense of how healthy the company is in terms of like how much debt do they have? Are they just drowning in debt? Is that where they're getting all this cash? Or are they operating in a healthy way that can be sustainable in the long run. So the balance sheet kind of gives you insight into those types of things. And then the third statement is cash flow. And I never really paid much attention to cash flow. I feel like it doesn't get talked about a whole lot. But especially this past year, I've learned really the importance of a cash flow statement because it shows the actual inflow and outflow of cash, which sounds very obvious, but timing of cash is huge, especially if you are running your own business because your income statement can show profit, but you still might not be able to pay your bills if all your revenue is tied up in accounts receivable. Because accounts receivable is money that people owe you, but you haven't actually received that cash yet. So, 
you know, if you're a business, you can still go under if you have a ton of money in accounts receivable, but you don't have that cash on hand to pay your bills as they become due or to pay employees when payroll comes around. So understanding the inflow and outflow of cash and also the timing of it is really crucial to a business. And it's something to definitely keep in mind and understand and at least have a general awareness of. So those are my main takeaways from accounting. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, but just from an overall perspective, accounting really just taught me how to look at and understand business and how it works. So that's accounting. Next, we're going to move on to analytics. And this is definitely a huge topic right now within business because data is so readily available these days. Everything is collecting data. When you use your phone, data is being collected. Anytime you shop on a website, data is being generated. There's just so much data available. And there's also a lot of free public data. So I know in the city of Chicago, they have a data portal. If you're curious, it's, I think, city of Chicago data portal. And you can analyze and look at data sets that are already available. And so it's a really good way to get practice and see kind of the things you can discover by looking at data. But analytics kind of encompasses a lot of things from coding to creating databases to data mining and creating models to kind of draw insights from data and then also visualizing data and the findings that you come up with. And so I think the big thing with analytics is that business knowledge is almost just as important as technical and statistical knowledge. I think a lot of people look at data mining and they see it as something that's very technical and don't get me wrong, it is. But having a business understanding of what problem you're trying to solve and what actionable insights you can take from that data and from those findings, that's where the true power of analytics comes. That's kind of my take on that. Um, There's three really main types of analytics. So the first being descriptive. So this is basically what happened. And so you're looking at historical data and you're trying to find trends or patterns in things that happened. The second type is predictive. So this kind of builds off of descriptive and you're using past data and past trends and patterns that you've discovered to then try to predict what might happen in the future. A big part of this would be creating regression models where you try to essentially quantify and create an equation that helps you predict a future value. And adjusted R-square is another key metric that essentially tells you how good your model is at predicting. So the closer you get to one with your adjusted R-squared, the better the model is. And then the third type would be prescriptive. So this is where you're trying to find an optimum solution. So building off of that model, you can essentially try to find how you should best make use of the resources that you have under 
different constraints. So maybe it's a budget constraint or a resource constraint and basically finding how to optimize all of those things to make best use of them. So another crucial thing to keep in mind with analytics is attention to detail because one minor change or one mistake can have a huge impact. And also information and insights really are almost useless unless you can find a way to communicate it in a way that's easy for people to understand and communicate it in a way that people can take action on it. Because you can find all kinds of cool insights, but if there's no action that can be taken or if there's no way for people to really resonate with it, then it's it's just gonna sit there and not be useful. So this is where visualization comes in. I mean, we as humans are very visual and it's a lot easier to convey a message or a need or a recommendation when you're looking at a chart or a graph or an image rather than just a number or an Excel sheet or something like that. So one of the tools I was able to learn was Tableau. And I highly, highly recommend Tableau if you are interested in data visualization. It's a very simple, intuitive piece of software that is very incredible and very powerful. So definitely recommend looking into that if you are interested in data analytics and specifically visualization. So the next topic I want to cover is project management. And project management kind of follows this life cycle. So you have four main areas of this life cycle. You have the conception of the project, you have definition, you have execution, and then operation. So that's kind of the cycle that a typical project follows. So you have a problem or a need that gets identified and it's kind of an idea that comes about and so this project gets conceptualized. And then in definition, that's where you're really defining specific requirements and needs and kind of really putting into paper and creating a schedule and understanding what needs to get done, who's responsible for it. And then execution is starting the project and actually following through with that plan and that schedule. And operation then is just finishing the project and having it be used, whatever it might be, whatever the finished product is, having it be able to actually be used and operated. So I think a big part about project management is really taking the time to identify all the different stakeholders. So a stakeholder is really anybody who is affected by the project or has the ability to influence it in some way. Because as you're working on this project, you're going to be dealing with a lot of different people. And so understanding how they're affected by things that happen, what influence they might have, who you need to talk to when a problem comes up, that's a huge part of a project. And so there's also different types of contracts. So the two main types would be a fixed price contract and a cost plus fixed fee. So fixed price contracts are, there's a flat price and this price stays the same regardless of how much it actually ends up costing. Because as you might know, if you've ever worked on a project on your own or you think that something's going to cost a certain amount and then as you get going, more expenses come up, more things happen that aren't necessarily expected and it ends up 
costing more than you thought. So fixed price is a little bit risky in the sense that let's say you're doing this project and a lot of unexpected costs come up, well, you're going to eat those costs and not the person that's paying you to do that project. So this is why, you know, defining really clear requirements and, you know, prioritizing those in terms of what's most important is crucial for that type of contract. The other type is cost plus fixed fee. So basically the final price of this type of contract isn't really known until the end. So basically you just kind of keep track of all the costs that are incurred as the project goes on. And then at the end, you just slap on whatever fixed fee was decided and that's the final price. So this is really good for more risky projects when you don't know for sure how much it's actually going to cost. So those are the two main types of contracts in terms of projects and some of the bigger, more widely applied lessons that I learned from project management is just the importance of really getting down to the details. So yes, you want to start big picture and kind of figure out what the end goal is. From that, you want to determine every single activity or every single action that needs to be done and create a schedule based on those individual activities. And this is what we call a work breakdown schedule. And so basically, it is a very, very granular explanation of every single action that needs to be taken. And so this is also really useful when estimating costs because it can be really hard to try to estimate the cost of a huge project because there are so many parts of it. But if you start kind of at the bottom with, all right, here's how much this specific activity or step of the project is going to cost and then kind of working your way up from those, it's a lot easier to kind of reach that final cost of the entire project. You know, I'm going into consulting right out of college to begin my career. And so a lot of the work in consulting is project-based and they do projects based on these types of contracts. And so I think if you're interested in consulting, then project management is really important to kind of learn and understand. But also if you are trying to start your own business and it's more of a service or project-based business, then project management is definitely something that is going to be very important in that type of work. I really, really enjoyed all my marketing classes. There is so much to be learned and a lot of it is actually free online. So I'll kind of go into some different resources that I was able to find while I was in my marketing classes, but I was very surprised at just the number of things that are available to really anyone. But to start off specifically talking about digital marketing, which is kind of my favorite class that I took, there are essentially different strategies that you can follow if you're trying to promote your business or even just anything that you're doing. Like there's different strategies. So you can have a push strategy, which is creating ads, or you can have a pull strategy, which is trying to pull people into your site through just natural search results. So this would be something like Google. Google Analytics is an incredible platform that I highly, highly recommend people learn. 
And there's a lot of free courses online. I think Google has its own analytics course. It's completely free. And you learn a lot about how it works and you can set it up super easily to attach to any website. So if you have your own website, you can integrate your website into Google Analytics so you can see these metrics that I'm going to talk about. And so I use this for my blog to get an understanding of how many people are visiting and also like where they're coming from and all those types of things. So I kind of wanted to touch on some of the main ones that I think are the most important. So in terms of audience metrics, you have users, which are the number of unique visitors to your site. So this is someone who has never visited your website before. Page views sounds very self-explanatory, but it's basically the number of pages that people click on. So this could be one person that generates 10 page views because they click on 10 different pages, or it could be one person that only clicks on one page. So it can kind of in a way be misleading because it could be one customer generating all those page views, or it could be multiple customers. So that's where sessions comes in. And sessions are a group of interactions. So let's say a user comes to your site, they are one session. So even if they generate like 10, 12 page views, that's still under one session. So sessions kind of give you an idea of those groups of interactions. And then bounce rate is the percentage of users who left the site without really interacting at all. Basically, they came to your website and they left while they were on that exact same page. They didn't click on anything. They didn't do anything else. That would be a user that bounced. And so the percentage of those people who did leave the site out of all the ones that came and visited, that would be your bounce rate. And so in terms of acquisition metrics. So these are metrics that help you kind of determine where people are coming from. There's different terms that Google uses within Google Analytics. So I'm going to kind of run through those really generally. So affiliate, this refers to someone who comes to your site through paid referral. Amazon, for example, has an affiliate program where if you mention a product and you use a certain link, and someone clicks on that link and buys something, then you get a percentage of that revenue. So that would be considered affiliate. Referral is just unpaid referral to your website. So let's say a blog comes across a post on your website and they really like it, so they link to it. You're not getting paid for that, but they are referring people to your site. So that would be referral. Paid search is an ad that's going to show up within Google search results and you'll see the little ad um, description that's kind of the first thing that you see and so you're paying basically for your ad to kind of show up further on search results. Organic search though is just when your results naturally come up within Google. So this is when you're really utilizing SEO and your keywords are relevant and your search kind of shows up at the top because of that. Display, this refers to banner ads. So the type of ads that you'll see just on really all kinds of different websites. Direct, this is when 
people type in your website directly into their browser. And then finally, social is just going to be people that are coming to your website from really any social channel. It encompasses really all the social media sites. So you can drill down further and see kind of specifically whether people are coming from Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but it kind of is just a broad overview of if people are coming from social media. Google Webmaster, if you look that up, it is essentially Google's SEO guide. So they help you really understand kind of how their algorithm works and basically how to utilize that knowledge to drive people to your site through SEO. So understanding how to generate good keywords so that when people search something, you have a better likelihood of showing up in those search results. And keywords really are everything. So a website I really recommend is Neil Patel. They have just a lot of great resources where you can kind of type in a keyword and it can show you how many people are searching for that keyword. It can give you recommendations for other keywords that are related that might be better. And they also have a great blog with tons of really informational posts about tons of marketing topics. So definitely a great resource that I recommend if you're interested in learning more about marketing and analytics. The other topic I wanted to touch on is finance, and I am going to be completely honest. I Finance is not my strength. I did not particularly enjoy many of my finance classes, but I did want to gain a really good understanding of investing and how that works for my own personal finance and my own personal investing, and so I did kind of walk away with a really good understanding of how investing works. And so that's kind of what I'm going to share. I'm definitely not an expert in this area, but I'm going to try to make it as boiled down and easy to understand as I can. First things first is there's a difference between passive management and active management. When I thought about stocks originally, I thought you, if you wanted to get exposure to the stock market, you had to basically build a portfolio on your own and pick certain stocks and then hopefully you pick the right ones and they return a good investment. But that's only one type of strategy. That's what's referred to as active management, where you are picking specific stocks and really your goal is to try to find mispriced securities so that you can make a profit off of them and essentially time the market. And so that takes a lot of time. And honestly, if you want to pay someone to do it, it's expensive. But there's a different type of management called passive management. And this is much more easier to get exposure to the stock market. It's cheaper. And it's super easy because you're just holding a diversified portfolio of stocks. Often it's an index fund or an ETF, and it just has a good representation of lots of different stocks. Actually, on average, actively managed portfolios don't end up beating the market, at least on a consistent basis. And so getting the return of the market through just an index fund or an ETF, if you're not trying to put a whole lot of money into investing or if you're not trying to massively outperform the market, then that's kind of the best way to go and the easiest way to get exposure to the stock market. But in terms of just different types of 
assets that you can invest in. There are kind of three main types. So you have fixed income assets, you have equity, and then derivatives. So fixed income is going to be your bonds and essentially the money market. So bonds are when you lend money out and someone pays you regular interest payments. That's the fixed income portion. And then at the end of a designated term that is stated within the bond, you get that principal back. Bonds are considered less risky than something like a stock because it is an agreement to get that amount of money back at the end of some designated period. The money market is short-term investments. So these are considered less risky because they're less than a year. So it's a lot easier to kind of predict or at least kind of get a general outlook of where the economy is going to be and just where things are going to be. And so this includes things like treasury bills, which are issued by the government, and certificates of deposit. The next asset class is equity. So we kind of touched on this briefly, but this is investing in stocks. So this can be, you know, investing in the S&P 500, the Dow Jones, um, really, yeah, just taking advantage of investing in the stock market. And this is considered more risky, but it depends on where you are in your life as well in terms of how much money you really want to allocate to riskier assets versus more safe assets. So for example, like I'm in my 20s now, so I have a long time left to invest so I can essentially take on a little bit more risk. In building an investment portfolio, I would probably allocate more to things like equity um, versus bonds because you get higher returns with equity but there is more risk so basically you start with how much risk you're willing to take on and where you're at in your life what your future capital expenditure needs are and then kind of building a portfolio based on that and then finally derivatives i'm not going to talk much about these because i honestly don't have much knowledge of these but basically these are things like options and futures so these assets derive their value from other assets and so that's where it gets the name derivatives but again if you're just trying to learn the basics of investing i wouldn't worry too much about these and i'm definitely not super well versed in these either but i just thought i'd kind of throw it out there as something that's out there all right so next is entrepreneurship the biggest thing I learned about entrepreneurship and specifically coming up with a business idea, it's not about the solution. It's really about finding a problem. So once you can identify a problem and then understand that problem and build a solution around that problem, that's where you're going to come up with success. If you are just trying to sit and think, all right, what solution can I come up with? What cool product can I make? It's not going to have as much of a chance of success if you are just creating something to create something. You really want to identify something that solves a need, something that is not currently being met. So it's really, really important to focus on problems or annoyances or things that bug you 
you know, one of the exercises that I had to do in one of my entrepreneurship classes was to create a bug list and essentially I had to come up with 25 things that annoyed me just in my day-to-day life, things that just bothered me or processes that were inefficient or just things like that. And so kind of looking at that list, then you can start to think about, okay, what kind of solution can I create to alleviate this or to make this easier or better? And so that's a really good way to generate ideas for businesses. Once you kind of have an idea, it's really important to test that idea and get feedback. And so surveys can only reveal so much because people often answer differently than how they would because they want to come off a certain way. And so the best way to really learn is to observe and to actually ask people in a conversation why they do things the way they do or how they approach things or even just watching kind of how they use a software or how they use a product. You can kind of get insights into things that you wouldn't be able to get if you're just asking questions on a survey. And the other big thing is that product market fit is crucial before scaling. The mistake that a lot of early companies make from what I learned in my classes is that they scale too quickly. They invest a lot of money in hiring people in stores or development or production or whatever it might be, and the product isn't quite where it needs to be yet they scale and then the demand is not there yet and so that can cause you to go out of business because then you aren't generating the revenue that you need to so product market fit is essentially when you're at a point where you can't keep up with demand when you are struggling to keep up with the demand because so many people want your product once you hit product market fit that's when you start scaling and so when you scale you need funding. There are lots of different sources for funding. You have startup capital, which is really kind of the capital that you're getting to start the business. So this can be from friends and family, from loans, from credit cards, or crowdfunding. So sites like Kickstarter. But growth capital, this is the big bucks. This includes the banks, the angels, the venture capitalists, And these are people who are looking for a significant return on their investment. So it's really crucial that at this point, your business is somewhat established and you can really show future growth that is going to provide significant returns. Growth capital is often later in the business, but... This is where you really get the money to scale to a much, much larger extent. The other important thing to understand about entrepreneurship are the different types of exits. If you're looking to start a business, there are different exit strategies that you can have that you should be aware of, at least at the beginning. So there's kind of three main types. There's acquisition, there's strategic mergers, and then there's an IPO. So acquisition would be if another company buys out your company and you get your return in that form. A strategic merger, that's when you merge with another company that maybe is in a similar industry or 
has resources or process or just aligns well with your company and together you can grow better and work more efficiently. The third is an IPO. So this is when you go public. And so this is probably the least common, but yeah, it's just something to kind of keep in mind if you are trying to start a really high growth business that you kind of want to be mindful of what's your strategy. Is it acquisition? Is it a merger? Is it an IPO? And then the final topic that I wanted to talk about is sales. So I took a sales class, not because I had to, but because I was really interested in learning more about selling. And I think salespeople, there's a really negative connotation surrounding them. You know, sometimes I feel like people view them as trying to take advantage of people and they're just there to make money. And honestly, that's the impression I kind of had going into the class. But I think there's definitely a shift or there's starting to be a shift in sales where it's really more about building a partnership and building a relationship with someone. It's trying to find that win-win situation where you're listening to the needs of a customer and you're being a partner to them and providing them a solution that is beneficial to them and therefore beneficial to you because now they are a paying customer. It's really trying to sell to the right people. You're not just trying to sell to everyone. Sometimes you have to say no if someone's not a right fit for your product or not a right fit for your service that you can provide. That's kind of another important thing that I learned. And also just understanding the sales funnel. So if you have a target for a number of products that you want to sell or a service or a number of clients that you want to get, you have to kind of work your way back and say, okay, first of all, how many leads do I need to generate to get a certain number of phone calls? How many phone calls do I need to get a certain number of meetings? And then once I get those meetings, how many of those people actually convert into paying customers? So then you have an understanding of how much work you have to do, how many leads you need to generate in order to get the business that you are anticipating. And then also kind of the last thing is different sales strategies work for different types of businesses. So if you're a B2B company or you're working in B2B, personal salespeople are often the strategy that is needed because you're working with very highly customized needs, very big clients, and so you need that one-on-one attention, interaction to really understand what their needs are. Whereas if you're a B2C company and you're trying to reach as many customers as you can, you might focus more on digital marketing and really trying to get your advertising out there and less emphasis on dedicated salespeople. So it really kind of depends on the type of business. Really just a business can't run without sales. You know, I'll never forget my professor had this quote that he always told us throughout the class. And he's like, the best way to get what you want is to help someone get what they want. So I think that's just a kind of an interesting way to look at it in terms of you really are there to help someone else. And by doing that, if you do find the right solution for someone's need, they're going to give you business. And so that's going to work out and be beneficial for you as well. 
So it's that mutually beneficial win-win situation that sounds perfect and idealistic, but really that's the goal and not just to try to sell as much as possible, but to find the right people and the right customers and to build those long-term partnerships and relationships. And that's everything. So I know that was a lot jam-packed into one episode, but I really wanted to just have it all in one episode to just really reflect on everything that I've learned throughout my four years to kind of look back before looking forward and beginning this next chapter of my life. So I hope it was useful or helpful to you in some way to maybe use this as a springboard to pursue something new or to look into something more. So if you want to learn more about something or if you have questions about anything, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me at my website, liveoutinspiration.com or my Instagram, which is at liveoutinspiration. And I'll put all of that in the description of this episode as well. So thanks again so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.